this is Jean Nathan. It's time for Crosstown Conversations. Thank you to Blake Jones Law Firm and Stay Local, an organization that's working to make sure that we support our local businesses. Um, and we have, as always, a great show with some very interesting people. I think you're going to enjoy it. So stay tuned. So today, um, I am very pleased to have um, a frequent visitor to New Orleans who cares a lot about what happens here and actually all over the country because he works with Americans for the Arts. He's vice president of research and he's kind of the guy who helps us understand what's going on elsewhere. So I wanted to get a little bit of a heads up from him, so to speak, as to what is going on nationally and how um, from that Washington perspective and uh, from an arts, a national arts organization perspective, how we are trying to get uh, our arms around how things are going to go forward. I don't like to say how we're going to come out of Ovid because I mean, COVID, who knows when that's going to be? I have, we have no idea. And right now it's just getting worse, not better. So um, let's not even get into mm -hmm. the politics of it, but it's, it's not a pretty picture. So, Randy, from your perspective, basic question, what's going on? Well, uh, it is a devastating time for the arts. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got several big national surveys that we're doing in Americans for the Arts. We came right out of the gate with those early in March. That's great. Um, looking at uh, arts organizations, and then another one looking at artists and creative workers. Um, and we actually have several other pieces going as well. And this is one of these situations where the data completely underscore the observations of, of what we're seeing and what we're, we're living through. Oh, they're, they're, so, they're syncing up. Yes, absolutely. And so the coronavirus has just had a devastating impact upon America's urban sector. Um, you know, the, it's amazing to believe that the first case was reported in January, January 20th of, of this year up in Washington state. So it, you know, it's, it's barely six months now. And this is the worst by far anybody has uh, seen happen in generations. You know, thousands of arts organizations across the country uh, have uh, you know, canceled events. Two thirds of the nation's artists and creative workers are fully unemployed. Um, so, but uh, to dig in really this from every direction from the standpoint mm -hmm. of whatever their art practice was, but also if they were working in the hospitality industry, which is very typical here, our artists tend to work there, they got hit there. And uh, education is another field that artists tend to work in. They got hit there. They got hit three ways from Sunday. Yeah. And um, you're absolutely right. And we actually track some of that uh, in our uh, survey uh, of artists and creative workers. And this is a big national survey. We have about 21,000 uh, respondents. So, you know, huge sample wow. sizes. And without a doubt, and there's other data that, that reinforce this, but artists and creatives are among the most severely affected workers uh, by the COVID-19 crisis. 62% fully unemployed. Um, and the average financial loss per artist, you know, we're asking, you know, sort of people on a rolling basis, uh, is average is about $21,000 uh, per artist and creative worker. Um, and now you nationally, uh, because, Wait, you know, Americans for the Arts, yeah, we've, we've got the big national numbers, but 
we, it looks like artists this year will lose um, 50.6 billion, billion with a D, a B dollars in income in 2020. And, wow. you know, as this gets worse, like you said, it's, it's, it's heading worse. You know, those figures actually uh, may end up going up uh, even. But, you know, billions is a pretty hard thing to uh, conceive of. But, uh, you know, an average of $21,000 per respondent. And, boy, who can't re relate to that, uh, you know? And so that's, that's some real pain. 94%, so effectively every artist and creative worker has experienced income loss. Um, 79%- Also, that since so many artists are basically gig workers on contract, so many of them couldn't get unemployment insurance. Yeah, um, although the, uh, uh, the gig workers, um, we actually worked pretty early on to uh, make space in some of the unemployment, uh, extended unemployment for um, uh, certain aspects of the, uh, you know, the independent artists. Uh, and so definitely more of those folks uh, than be uh, before have been eligible. Um, but yes, there is, there is a cohort of workers who've sort of fallen between some of the unemployment, and the PPP, you know, uh, and so it's, it's, it's been a real challenge. Um, and there's, there's other challenges. 66% of artists tell us um, we can't even access supplies, resources, spaces, and the people to do the work. You know, here we are, so many of us um, locked in our homes and, you know, busting out the guitar. It's time to start writing some poetry, you know, trying to, you know, do the arts. So personally, me and some neighbors, uh, since the middle of March, um, every Monday through Friday at six o'clock, there's about eight plus of us who meet out in front for a neighborhood sing-along. Um, and it's, it's great. Uh, it's, and it's what the arts do. They, they bring us together. It's a chance to connect. But, um, you know, the music uh, is, is a very, and the art, both creation and the making, is very powerful, powerful finding. And so, so there's a lot. Let me, let me stay with that for a minute, because there's, there's two questions I want to ask you mm -hmm. um, in relation to that that are at the heart of my um, uh, concerns and, and interests. So um, number one, I think a lot of us really feel that the arts will help us emerge from the worst of this crisis. Yes. Um, the question is how? And uh, so secondly, the question is how small or big is the thinking at the national level in Washington about how we are going to help the creatives and the artists um, to uh, actually do that. So, you know, I'm old enough to have studied WPA, Works Progress Administration. And most people think of that in terms of construction because uh, there was a lot of construction. And that would be nice if that was going on now too. That was a campaign promise that hasn't happened yet, but apparently it just passed. I don't know what that's going to amount to, but Theoretically, that may start getting off the ground. But the other part of all that construction was that within all of those um, buildings and parks and things that were built was art, sculpture, mm -hmm. paintings, murals, um, not to mention the theater and the uh, writings. Uh, you had all these incredible travel books about cities that were written during that time. I mean, it was a huge program. And I can't help but feel that <laughs> we're going to need a huge program. Are you all talking about that in Washington? Are you talking big or are you talking PPP, unemployment? I mean, 
that's well, which I'll say is worth billions, has been worth billions of dollars uh, to the arts. I mean, the estimates just the PPP, you know, uh, are over $6 billion. And, um, but it's, you're absolutely right, which is big. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big number and the need is so much greater. So um, you're absolutely right about that. If that is being talked about, yeah, the WPA was a works program. Years later, it was CETA. Uh, you know, there was, uh, um, uh, you know, Arts Corps and, and, and different, different programs over the years. And so there is a lot of uh, effort to try to figure out um, how to put artists back to work uh, in these upcoming bills. Um, and then build that into putting everybody back to work. And it's not just artists back to work, uh, you know, employment's, uh, unemployment's off the charts. Now, you look within those unemployment data, um, artists, and like you talked about the hospitality sector, very closely related, um, you know, just the worst of the worst. Uh, and so the biggest challenges are, are absolutely there. Um, and uh, so that's, that, you know, people are working uh, towards that. Um, and I think as we see the COVID-19 impact continue to get worse now already, I mean, we're not even in the second wave, we're sort of in a second wave of the first wave. Uh, you know, I think people are thinking a lot more seriously, you know, uh, you know, throughout the summer about what's that next thing gonna be, that next stimulus or federal relief package. Um, and so, yeah, pe people are pushing very hard to make sure uh, artists and the arts uh, are absolutely part of that. But so then that gets back to that? your... How is this going to work? Because it's, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, we need to dot, dot, dot. And it's another thing to say, okay, here's how we're going to do it. And mm -hmm. I understand that we're really just at the cusp of thinking about, okay, how are we going to do it? Because we still don't understand what the context is going to be going forward. Yeah, the challenges are, are uh, enormous because, uh, the, uh, you know, we've, you and I have already made reference to, you know, having been around and seeing these things, uh, you know, how many recessions have we gone through? I mean, we've seen these things come around. And the only question was, oh, is this going to be a bad recession or a horrible recession? And we know what to do. You know, we kind of know a playbook for that. It's, it's not a painless one, but there is, you know, a playbook. This, um, there's so much uncertainty for the future, and that's really the, the big wrench. You know, for the arts, um, first to close, last to open. You know, we heard this week Broadway has, uh, you know, closed the doors until January 2020, uh, 2021. Um, you know, and we just hear these stories again and again. So um, a couple things. The, the arts are there will be an other side to this and you know we do have to work through it but um i think the arts are absolutely where uh, the opportunity is uh, for rebuilding our communities and so this is the story to tell and there's data to tell you know so with advocacy right i've got a golden rule in americans for the arts no numbers without a story no stories without a number you know and so we need to really tell and there's lots of individual stories right, you know, right there in New Orleans uh, of, uh, you know, just our venerable arts organizations, doors closed. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, there's unemployment data, you know, just un unquestionable. But when the arts do start to open and when people do start to get out of their homes, um, People spend money at other businesses, right? So how do we how do we rebuild, start up the economy? And the arts are kindling for the economy. You know, when we go to an arts event, 
The typical attendee spends $31.47 per person per event, not including the cost of admission on meals and parking, you know, some retail, you know, there's, I mean, lodging, you know, you've got a huge cultural tourism uh, driver down there in New Orleans, you know, arts and culture, you know, is, is just a um, vital part of the tourism economy and the local economy. But Ryan, but, we, we know in New Orleans, I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I can't, I want to make sure that we cover this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is that um, the, without a doubt, the tourism economy is fuel for the, the creative economy, for creators and artists. But it's not direct. It's not like the tourism industry in New Orleans at any rate um, is literally investing in the artists and, and the cultural programs and the organizations. Mm-hmm. Their feeling is that as long as they're putting heads on beds and, and, and behinds in the seats in restaurants, that is benefiting the cultural community. Um, we did have for a while something called the New Orleans Tourism Marketing Corporation that um, had a, a, a share of the um, hotel tax was was being uh, spent on events and marketing uh, with artist organizations. That's now in a transition, and hopefully it comes out in a good place. Uh, the mayor has said she wants to turn it into a cultural funding organization. I, I think that uh, at some point will happen. But... I don't know about other cities, but um, tourism and hospitality industry does not necessarily equate to uh, direct support to the artists well, and the uh, creatives. And I'm going to tell you that is wrongheaded thinking, um, because if you've got to invest in the product, if you want to reap those benefits uh, and you look at, you know, what's the competition doing? You know, what's what's San Francisco doing? Their hotel tax fund. They've got they've got an arts council. They've got. A variety of arts agencies, but they've got the hotel tax fund for the arts, uh, which pumps, you know, over $30 million a year into arts and culture. It's an investment in the product and an acknowledgement that- San Francisco, that, you just said? I was Sagan? Who, who did you just say? Which city? Oh, that was San Francisco. San Francisco, right. And, but, the, you know, there's examples there's a of- a couple other uh, examples like that. Yeah, like, cities across out. the country. Um, but here's, you know, so here's the thing. Uh, and what we're finding out now is um, how precarious, you know, the uh, ecology is uh, for the arts industry. And if you just assume, yeah, it'll always be there and we're all going to benefit. So, you know, we've got a nor- uh, survey of organizations uh, out there as well. Uh, and, um, you know, I've got over 17,000 nonprofit arts organizations that have responded to my survey nationally. Um, Ten percent of them, ten uh, percent of those responding organizations are not confident that they are going to survive the pandemic. You might think, oh well, ten percent. I guess that's not so bad. That's twelve thousand arts organizations uh, that are not confident they're going to see the other side of this. Um, financial losses to nonprofit arts organizations nationally so far: eight point four billion dollars. of organizations have canceled events since the onset of the uh, pandemic. Um, And uh, 50% of them, half the organizations, have already canceled events as far out as September and 7% into 2021. 
So, you know, there's a growing, and we're just going to see that number grow, but this, you know, the summer cancellations are coming in and now we're seeing more and more arts organizations saying, uh, yeah, we're, we're, it's not going to be until 2021. Um, so there's, uh, you know, about a third of them have laid off staff. Now, what's the impact of that? Well, 325 million lost admissions so far. $10.3 billion in event-related spending by arts audiences. And so these are big national numbers, but you can bring this down to a local, a local level. And, and I'll get back to that figure I was talking about earlier. In our last big national study, we interviewed 212,000 audience attendees. Ridiculous oversample. We found that the typical attendee to an arts event spends $31.47 per person per event, not including the cost of admission, uh, meals and, you know, parking and babysitting. We also found a third of those attendees came from outside the county, outside the parish in which that arts event took place, 34%. And they average $48 per person per event. And as you'd expect, more on transportation, meals, that's where you see the lodging. But then we asked those non-local attendees a really simple question. Why are you here? You know, you're here on business, you're here visiting friends and family. 69% said, we came specifically for this arts event. And we actually asked the local they're local people, people who didn't really travel out of town. Um, what if this arts event wasn't taking place? Would you have stayed home, done something else? We gave them a bunch, you know, watch Netflix. We gave them a bunch of uh, options. 41% um, said, I traveled to a different community to attend a similar kind of arts wow. event. But the hunger is, um, people, it, yeah. It's, uh, it's steady. It doesn't, uh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you see it actually. Um, back when we could travel you know, four months ago. You know, I was up in Wisconsin and one of the arts attendees there on the survey um, was a, a farmer who paid somebody $60 to milk his cows so he could go to the theater that night. <laughs> Isn't that great? But it totally understates, uh, underscores your point, Gene, that people will do what it takes to get to the arts. Um, but we also have to acknowledge that um, we can't assume that these arts organizations are gonna be there forever. Uh, they, even in a good economy, you know, they operate very close to the margins. And so we need to find a way to invest in these arts organizations now and sustain them because when we do get to the other side of this, and there will be an other side to this, that's where we can look to, um, to stimulate the economy. Because we go to an arts event, we don't just run out and then run back home. No, we go and we spend money at local businesses, at restaurants and local parking garages. And that provides vital revenue, income for merchants, you know, and, jobs. and jobs. And then, and so that's the economic thing. And that's a huge thing. But let, and let me just, you know, give you a, a, the, also this, you know, the important social cohesion aspect of this as well. Because goodness knows our communities were already fractious and, and you know, uh, before all of this. But now with social distancing, we see more isolation. We got to get people reconnected again. And that's the arts, right? When we participate in an arts event, we're having a shared experience in a public space. 
you know, it's an open air festival. Uh, maybe it's a community mural. You know, we're seeing Hamilton for the third time or something like that. I mentioned it because next week I was supposed to have gone to see it. Um, but uh, line. I know, I know. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's where a lot of the work it. is moving. So, um, but, you know, when people go to the arts, they don't care who the person sitting next to them voted for or where they practice their faith. You know what? It's a, it's a shared experience. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deeper level of connectedness. And the numbers underscore that as well. I did the largest public opinion survey the arts ever conducted not long ago. Um, and what I found is 72% of the adult population says the arts unify our communities, regardless of age, race, or ethnicity. 73%, the arts help me understand other cultures in my community. You know, and so we're trying to figure, all right, how do we get people back together here? And the public's raising their hands saying, look, we got an answer. You know, the arts, the arts, you know, help connect us. So, Randy, um, you know, those of us in, who, who work in the arts are, are very conscious of this and, and we're, we're all on the same page about it. But when you talk to people in the business world who think that economic development is only about um, tech, health, um, uh, here for here, uh, here for us is support, um, you know, retail goods and so on. So this has been a big issue for us. How do we get past kind of, you know, the intellectual to the emotional? How do we motivate the business community to really sign on to understanding um, all the things that you're saying about um, mm -hmm. the ripple effects of culture and how it, it works both economically and also sociologically bringing us together and, and creating a kind of a, a unified and a hopeful position uh, towards the future. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first thing the business leaders uh, do look at is, I mean, their big issue is, you know, obviously it's the economy, it's jobs, but how am I going to attract and retain a skilled you know, uh, creative economy workforce, you know, and I mean, the creative economy, it's, it's what's driving the global economy now. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the thing that usually pops in their mind first. And there's really powerful research that underscores that. Uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce, their Bureau of Economic Analysis, top economic shops on the planet, they now do what's called the Arts and Cultural Production Satellite Account Study every year, where they look at the entire arts and culture economy in the United States. So not just the nonprofit organizations like we were talking about earlier, but artists and university oh, art right. departments and Broadway and Hollywood. $878 billion industry, billion with a B, 4.5% of the nation's economy, a bigger share of GDP than transportation tourism, uh, agriculture. And, you know, those folks know that the BEA doesn't take a, you know, do these satellite accounts uh, without a real strategic purpose. And the strategic purpose is we've got to understand um, how, uh, how to thrive in a global economy. And it's a creative economy and we need creative workers. And so the other study they really respond to is one I did with the conference board, uh, several years ago called Ready to Innovate. And Conference Board is the National Organization for Big Business in the United States. If you're a Fortune 1000 CEO, that's where you go to to get your you know, scholarly business information. Their research shows creativity 
now among the top five applied skills that business leaders are looking for. It's even leapfrog the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. You know, of course you have to be able to read, write, and do math, but when you can take some creativity and apply it to your scientific, engineering, you know, technology, those are the high paying jobs. Those are the companies that are prospering in this global economy. 72% of business leaders say creativity is of high importance in hiring. And 85% of those folks said, we can't find the people we're looking for, you know, and You've got of course there's no- Randy, you sure do. Now, let me ask you this. Okay, we get, um, uh, we get past the election in November. Uh, we either have a new administration uh, or we have an unadministration. <laughs> What's it called? Um, what will you guys be telling the um, leadership, the policy developers for either of those, what to do right now to boost the cultural economy? What is your game plan? Do you have a game plan yet? Or are you still working on it? Well, it's, it's, it's an evolving, but there's this a very is active question because we're about running out of time, but I really, uh, I want to, I'm trying to get at, uh, again, that question of, you know, not, not just uh, what's happening, mm-hmm. but where are we going and what, what are, are you guys really like writing up a program policy that can be um, uh, put into effect, um, you know, as they say, in the first hundred days of a new administration? Um, yes, and we're, you know, certainly working with the candidates, uh, the current administration, which is not particularly receptive to it, but, um, you know, and, and uh, with Congress extensively. Uh, and it's, it's several pieces. It's, um, you know, it's investment in the arts, you know, and the federal agency, uh, you know, is the National Endowment for the Arts and Institute for Museum and Library Services, investment through those agencies. We went to Congress at the beginning of the CARES Act and said, we need $4 billion investment. Because what we did is we presented them with, um, here are the losses after, you know, effectively one month of bad COVID-19 news. Uh, arts and culture was already down, nonprofits down, you know, $3.2 billion. So we come at it with the economic numbers uh, and we make it an important economic story. Um, we are working on uh, ensuring that w- but all of these new relief packages include funding for the arts and funding for artists and keeping artists employed. Um, and, uh, and, and it's a battle. So what I would certainly encourage everybody to do is... Um, that was my next question. What go, can we out here do to help you? And, and, and we'll have to make this a quick. I'm, we're really uh, out of time. But yeah, it is uh, quick. I, 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 I trust my moments with you. Thank you. Um, the Arts Action Fund is the 501c4 uh, partner organization to Americans for the Arts. We've got an army of 425,000 individual arts act, you know, activists, advocates as part of the Arts Action Fund. And you need to be part of that because in Washington, D.C., it's a numbers game. Um, yeah, we did, uh, a, you know, a, everyone did a great job, all the arts advocates of making sure the arts were, uh, you know, part of the uh, CARES Act. And really, the arts uh, were just one of a couple of sectors specifically that received additional investment. Everybody else was kind of left to the other uh, relief packages. So uh, we were very effective in that. Um, 
But then you got to lock in those gains because you can get traded out as, as easily as you got in. And so everybody's got to take action. Join the Arts Action Fund. It's free and it's, it's, um, it's the way to make your voice heard and the way to make sure. Arts Action uh, Fund. Artsactionfund.org. We need to check that out. Randy, would you please come back to me um, periodically from going forward now and, and let me know how things are shaping up and developing. Um, obviously, uh, anybody listening to this interview knows that uh, you've got your, um, I'm not going to say your finger on the pulse, but you really are tracking what's going on. And uh, we need to hear from you. And um, definitely let us know at critical moments when you need to hear our voices. We do have people in town who are um, working on the lobbying side of the world and include yes. the arts. Uh, they're not necessarily just for the arts, but um, mm -hmm. we want to help you. Thank you so much for what you do, for being there. And um, pick up the phone and call. Don't wait for Jane, me. Jane, it's great to see you and talk to you. You come from an incredible arts creative community. Uh, you do amazing work uh, within that community, your leadership. We, we, we all uh, try very hard here. And by the way, we have a, a group called the um, Cre Creative Response Group. Um, I need to plug you into that somehow because this is, to me, the first time in, since I've been here in the mid-70s that the silos are coming down mm -hmm. and people are working cross boundaries and helping each other. And that's a very important development. And I um, agree. We're in this together. I'm seeing this all across the country, too. You yeah, know, this could be happens. one of the upside that we very come important. out of this strong together. But yeah. take action. A little something every day. Don't wait around for like a big monumental effort. Just a little something every day. Build the habit of advocacy and you can really make a difference. Thank you, Randy Cohen, um, Vice President for Research for Americans for the Arts, a very important arts organization. And um, everybody check out artsactionfund.org. I hope to see you soon, even I if it's just it. on Zoom. Yeah, I know. That's all it's going to be for a while, but I look forward to the next in-person visit. All right. Bye, okay. Jean. I have with me today two very informed people on home building, and home building in a way that's healthier um, and exciting and taking in contemporary ideas, nothing like um, thinking about how to do things new and interesting. And, and that's what we're going to deal with uh, in our conversation today. So um, first of all, we're, we're talking with um, Randy. Where's your last name? Noel. Noel, right there on the screen. Um, who is a longtime home builders uh, person and a longtime builder since he was a young man. I just got his story about how his dad kind of threw him right out there and said, go, go do something in a house. And he did it. And next thing you know, he's selling houses and he's been doing it ever since. And he's a, a chair of the Parade of Homes this year, which is happening this weekend, uh, July 11th and 12th. And the following, 18th and 19th from 1 to 5. And um, they have some extremely interesting homes set up. And with us also is Jillian Cook, who's a specialist in um, new uh, design and environmental um, protections in particular for um, our residents living in homes. So, Randy, why don't you start and tell me um, uh, what you got in mind for this year's Parade of Homes, and then uh, we'll zero in on the... Um, Healthy Homes with um, Jillian. All right. So we've got 25 homes in the Home Builder Association of Greater New Orleans Parade of Homes. There's 20 of them you can visit in person. 
And when you come to visit in person from on, on from one to five on the on the eleventh, twelfth, eighteenth, and nineteenth, we asking you some questions. You'll be get your temperature taken. You'll you'll get a mask and you'll have plenty of hand sanitizer. So we're going to follow the CDC guidelines. Good. And uh, be, please be patient with everyone because we're only going to put a limited number of people in a house at a time, so we can wipe it down as we go. Um, all 25 of the homes are going to be have virtual shots of them. And it's a, it's a device called Matterport where you can literally walk through the house and turn and look. And if you got those, those viewers that the kids now put on their heads and stuff, you can actually feel like you're walking in the house and you get to these things with a thing we're going to use this year for the first time is a, an app you can get from the Apple store or from Google play that says new Orleans pray to homes. You download the app and the app will have directions that'll take you right to each one of the homes. It'll also have all the homes there with all the bill or contact information, prices, sizes. And that's the place where you can go to the website, hbagno.org uh, slash POH or Parade of Homes. And you'll see all the houses with all, a lot more information. And you can click on the button to go to the virtual and it'll take you to a, vir a virtual walkthrough on the home. Uh, it's uh, first time we've ever done that. We're pretty excited about it. We, we decided to do it. Our original dates were May 31st. We knew we'd had to push it back because of the, of the um, quarantine. And uh, some of the guys that had built houses had to, had to go to active sales. People were wanting to move in. So we did this virtual for everybody and uh, give everybody an opportunity to look at them anytime they want to that way. And the, the other exciting thing that's happened this year, for the first time, the North Shore Home Builders Association and the Baton Rouge Home Builders Association are having their parade of homes at the exact same time. Wow. So pretty well covering the whole south, the southeast region of the, of the state. Hmm. Um, and between the three organizations, there's probably 100 homes. Wow. But um, it's going to be easy to find the homes. The homes are, are, are pretty unique. If, when you get online, you'll see they, they've got a pretty common theme on on the exterior colors, they're mostly in the white. Um, but uh, the kitchens, the bathrooms, they, they're, they're pretty outstanding. Uh, don't miss a chance to, to go see them. And we got the St. Jude home once again with our parade of homes. Uh, unfortunately, they're sold out of the, the tickets. But uh, that home can be seen virtually as well on our app and our website. So it's going to be a great time. Yeah, so uh, this sounds more like a festival than a parade. This is just a... Uh... Uh, a really a, an incredible opportunity for people to see a lot of different ideas. So uh, I, I, I have to highly recommend it. And um, I love that you can do it either virtually or in person. Um, and people may choose to look at some of it uh, uh, on, online and then uh, and pick particular houses that they want to see in person and, and follow up and go see them. So that's a great combination. Very innovative. And um, I, I imagine to what extent did the COVID pandemic actually help you shape your thinking about essentially how to market new housing in the city? Well, the, the virtual parade of homes has been going on all over the country. I'll tell you, I used to be chairman of the National Association. So I'm in contact with about 600 different locals across the country. And a lot of the locals have parade of homes and they had, they knew they could, they, they built the homes and wanted to do something. So they, they found this, uh, um, virtual 3d video that they could do. And so we kind of attacked that and got the app and um, decided we, we, that would be our backup if we got shut down again. 
Um, knock on wood right now, I think we're going to be able to open those 20 homes, just in, particularly as long as we're masking people up and being safe about it. Um, but it, it's it's a, a new way to, to, to be able to go view homes without having to actually drive them home and see it. Mm -hmm. It's a thing. long-term impact as well, not just for this one event, but actually making it possible for people to see homes uh, virtually going forward. Is that true? Absolutely. And uh, the, I think the Homeowner Association of Greater New Orleans is probably going to offer that service after the parade's over to yeah. any of our builders that want to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're doing virtual art tours for artists in their studios, and we did it for COVID, but we're going to continue it, a uh, cultural organization that I'm involved with. Well, we've got Jillian Cook, who's, um, again, one of the leading national developers of um, healthy homes, um, and she has uh, also been um, doing this for quite a while and dealing with lead opportunities and, in fact, was involved with the first lead gold house. And gold, of course, as you can imagine, is the top of the pile. So uh, I'm fascinated. Let's zero right in on a couple important uh, healthy living innovations that um, really pop out for you as, hey guys, you need to pay attention to this idea. Well, I think first of all, I, I want to just congratulate Randy because he not only did a couple, he did all 10 of the healthy living system steps. Um, he has one of the most phenomenal air strategies. He worked with April Air um, and really not only worked through um, removing contaminants from the air and, and particulates that feed into our, um, a, a, the, the whole issue with the virus, you know, how do we get the air as pure as possible? Um, and April Air has some great strategies and he applied those. Um, the second in the steps is clean water. And, um, you know, there's contaminants in the water all around the world. Um, knowing what's in your water, you can go to the EWG website and uh, uh, look up what, put in your zip code, that's EWG, and it'll tell you what's in your water. And then you can figure out the strategies that you should apply to um, have the healthiest water, which Randy also did in, in the parade home. Um, additionally, the third one is um, natural light. Um, we worked with him on the north-facing, south-facing, east and west. And he really paid attention to how he could capture the light. Um, we all know that uh, there's vitamin D and sunlight and vitamin D fights off um, cancer. So another simple step, don't overly drape your windows, let that light in. Uh, he worked with Grace Kaner, who has a beautiful store on Magazine Street in New Orleans and filled the home with healthy furnishings, healthy textiles. Who is that? Um, her name is Grace Kaner and she's down on Magazine Street. And her and her team did a marvelous job. They worked with local art galleries with uh, beautiful works of art that are, um, are simple and have a spiritual and nature. Um, so it's a nice place to be with lots of nice light. But additionally to that, there's the spiritual side of what we do. There's the mental wellness side. Randy put in some great security systems, you know, the, from the doorbell um, all the way through to when you need to cover up your windows, you can for, for privacy and that comes into play again simple steps that we can all take in our homes but he followed all 10 um, he has an amazing kitchen by signature kitchen series which is LG and it's all about the food science you know it's um, not only how we store our food but how we prepare our food um, and worked with some local folks here there's some great cookbooks that speak to how um, important it is to have baby food made from organic 
either the, uh, the 15, Clean 15, which again is the EWG website, or you can go to Wellness Within New Orleans, our website, versus the Dirty Dozen. That's what you shouldn't buy um, in any supermarket. That's what should come from an organic um, uh, stand. So he applied that thinking. He has an, um, a cabinet that's been built to contain all of your um, mobile devices when you're charging at night and it reduces the EMS, the electromagnetic field in the house, which is something we don't think about. Um, this oh, is all I very new. I don't think about that. I've got yeah. device next to <laughs> yeah. like a port for a bazillion um, sor uh, uh, sources of um, plugins for my various devices. So I must be, I'm, I'm probably right in the middle of some horrible field. Listen, Randy, I got to talk to you about refrigerators too, because um, my husband and I, my husband is an indu alleged industrial designer from Pratt, but um, I always, oh. hey, Mr. Industrial Designer, how could you buy such a horrible refrigerator? I need to talk to you because I got one that don't work. Anyway. Oh, wow. Um, so, so um, those those are all, the the notion of the uh, light of of natural light is so important, and I think that we we can learn lessons from the um, older homes in the city of New Orleans. And it's one of the thing one of the reasons why I live here is that I live in a house that has windows everywhere. In fact, it's kind of hard to find enough wall space for all the artwork that I collect. So um, I, I know the importance of that. And I, again, sometimes if you look back far enough, you're going to see really innovative ideas that will influence your, what you're, you're trying to uh, address today. Is that not oh, true? Absolutely true. And the truth be known, we've learned more lessons from pre-chemical um, industry on what we should be doing. And you're right, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, they did have the choices that we have today, and they just pretty much stuck to more of a recycle, reclaim, reuse, and uh, reinvent. And I've, I've got a new one that a friend of mine, Laura Turner Seidel, has shared with me recently. It's Refuse, Refuse Single-Use Plastics. It's absolutely amazing what we can do um, in reducing plastics if we just re refuse that straw or don't use Ziplocs. Use canning jars that our grandmothers used and pack you know, a lunch in a canning uh, jar. You are, we're right on the same beam here. I got to tell you that um, I, the minute I get packaging um, into my house, especially if it's plastic, and I save all my jars. I haven't figured out where to keep all the jars yet. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have my kitchen is actually a, re, a converted sun porch because I live in a house from the 1890s that had no kitchens and no bathrooms. So and no closets, by the way. So we have a lot of them. Um, oh, that is beautiful. Uh, it's uh, it's not easy, but um, I, I put things in glass jars um, systematically, but I don't know where to store the jars while I'm waiting to put things in them. Um, and I also really feel very strongly about plastic. In fact, I was trying to figure out a way to handle, I'm, I have an obsession with uh, newspaper clippings because of my radio show and other things that I do. I really collect a lot of information. And I was trying to figure out when I wrote about um, how much plastic particles are in the air, which is a frightening story. I'm sure you've seen it. And I said, oh, my God, I don't want plastic boxes in my bedroom. So what am I going to do? Wood boxes. Let's see. Wine comes in wood boxes. So I get on the phone with the um, uh, wine, uh, one of the wine purveyors in town saying, you have any extra wood um, boxes from wine that I can? So I went and got these boxes. And, of course, 
that turns out not to be the best way to do it because they're all different sizes and it doesn't work. So, <laughs> you know, I, I made solutions for a, um, a OCD uh, newspaper collector. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to look forward to um, checking out what's in your houses to see if uh, there's any solution out there for me. But yeah, I'm right on your beam. What other um, really innovative things, um, either Randy or Jillian, um, uh, should people be looking for? Well, we, uh, we, we, nowadays people are getting very connected. They're using Alexa, they're using Google. Um, and so our house that we did, that, that Jillian's sitting in, as a matter of fact, um, we've got Wi-Fi enabled switches from Leviton throughout it. And uh, we've got all the fans are controlled by Wi-Fi and the garage door opener and all the appliances, LG, the signature appliance, we got washer dryer, we got a steam cabinet that you can actually wash your clothes with instead of sending the laundromat, which is kind of cool. Um, wow. Automatic fans that take the humidity out of the house. We've got a huge dehumidifier in the house. But um, you're going to literally be able to run this house, especially if you've got Lexus in your car. And when you drive up, say, Alexa home, and the lights will come on, the garage door open, you'll go in, it could turn music on. I mean, it, it, and then while you're in the house, you can just make voice commands and turn on fans, turn on lights. It's got an electric fireplace, if you've ever seen one of those. And, and most people think, okay, that's a TV, but it really blows out hot air. And it really looks like a fireplace. But guys, I, I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking those all sound like fabulous devices, but uh, they all use a lot of energy. So isn't there kind of a, you know, another side to that? Well, that's, that's the interesting thing about it. The, um, they don't really use any more energy than you use from a regular switch. Now, this house is all electric, so we don't have gas. So we put a thing called a waste heat recovery unit for the hot water. And you actually take the heat out of the, the, the compressor in the backyard and heat the water on the house. So you don't have to run a hot water. Yeah, that again. We take, we take the heat out of the, the it's a heat pump, but the, uh, the compressor in the backyard, when it runs, the heat comes out of that and heats the water in the water oh, tank. Right. I have heard of that. Yeah. Hey guys, I just, uh, you've got great ideas out there. And um, uh, I, I, I assume that as people either um, go uh, in uh, live to the houses or go online, that there's going to be some specialists available to talk with them uh, and share with them some of this information you're sharing with me during this interview. Absolutely. I, I'll be in mind. We've actually got two. Um, and most of the builders stay either have they, somebody on their staff or themselves stay in the houses. Okay. And so when you go through, you can ask questions and they can answer them for you. But you can't answer them online, right? Well, the, the, the builders have their emails attached to those virtual oh, tours. So they can. Okay. So they can run, you can run an email. Amazing. You just really, you're just high tech all the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, things uh, that are coming on the edge. Jillian, did you want to add anything in the way of, um, you know, something uh, particular? I would. I would. I'd like to, I'd like to congratulate Randy. I'd like to congratulate Randy. This uh, program is a pilot. Wellness Within Your Walls program got started um, certifying homes at the beginning of this year. This house is the first Wellness Within Your Walls home in the state of Louisiana. It's the second house to be certified in the United States. And the lessons to be taught and learned 
um, are really paving the way for the future. And with what we're dealing with COVID, um, there's some answers here as it relates to home building in the future on how we can um, live differently in our homes um, and make accommodations for every family member. And all of that is in this home that Randy built. And I just congratulate him for it was a, quite an undertaking and he did it. And it's Randy, pretty did remarkable. You, did you undertake this before without thinking about COVID uh, or how did COVID itself influence uh, what, you, what you did? And also I want the address of your house. Okay, it's, it's 121 Cove Point Drive in Ashton Plantation in Luland. And interestingly enough, I met Jillian a couple years ago. We had gone to uh, London to meet with the Prince of Wales Foundation on a, on a project in Atlanta. Uh, and I did this when I was chairman of the National Association. And she taught Telling Program. And, and uh, I will. I will. Uh, have some uh, exciting new idea, please uh, give us a call and share it. Um, I think uh, Randy, uh, well, Ann Wills, who uh, helped you guys get on the show, uh, can give you phone information so you can uh, keep us uh, up to date on things that are going on. Have a great festival. It's a festival, Parade of Homes Festival, July 11th and 12th, this um, Saturday and Sunday, and next Saturday and Sunday, the 18th and 19th, Sunday, 1 to 5 p.m. Thank you guys so much for your time. Thank Thanks you, for having us. Again, I think you had, I hope, uh, an interesting time listening to some of these folks we just had on and, and what they had to say. And I want to thank again, Blake Jones Law Firm and Stay Local, um, our sponsors for making it possible for us to come to you. Gene Nathan, First on Conversations. Talk to you next week on WBOK, what people are talking about. Mm -hmm.